Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Narthex. My name is Alyssa Gubrell and I'm here with Pastor Jeff Thune and Pastor Lucas Hattenberger of Northwest Bible Church. Every other week we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to the questions and conversations of today. And this week we are literally in the narthex talking about the theology of the gathering. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say full disclosure with all integrity that we are in the We're narthex. Alyssa, you're right. The narthex of Northwest Bible Church. That's right. Some people might not even know what is a narthex. Yes. Um, simply stated, it is a lobby or foyer or foyer of a church. <laughs> um, and like most narthexes, ours has really bad fluorescent lighting, yes. old carpet, and smells um, similar to polyester, mothballs, um, it's a bit and musty. kind of a yeah, musty sort of smell. You know, there's no doilies, though. There are no doilies, and, and there's no silk plants either, so I feel like <laughs> our narthex has been updated. It's um, a cool narthex. Yeah. Seriously, though, we're talking about the theology of the gathering. Um, this kind of came out of our last teaching series called The State of the Church, um, and we were just sort of hitting reset coming out of COVID um, and asking the question, just questions about who the church is and what the church does and why all of that matters. And as we kind of journeyed through that series, you know, a big part of that, a part that most people probably think of is is just the corporate gathering, the worship service, what we do on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of different ways that's looked over the years, a lot of different things that have been included in that. But but why do we do this thing every single week? Why do we come back every single Sunday? Yeah, what's the goal? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the goal of corporate worship? Yeah, that's right. And so uh, we're going to spend this this podcast, this first initial podcast, sort of um, outlining that. And um, we did, though, just kind of want to review just a little bit of, of what, at least here at Northwest, we're thinking of as the goal of corporate worship. So um, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Colossians 3, where Paul talks about um, the goal of, of worship being that, that the word of Christ dwells in our hearts richly. And he talks about uh, it, it comes through singing psalm, uh, songs and, and praying psalms. Uh, and so what, what Paul has in mind, uh, at least by the end of, of each service, is that um, the, the gospel, the story about Jesus, that, uh, that he became man, that, uh, that, that he died for us, that he rose, that he's uh, at the right hand of God, uh, gets into our hearts. And um, one thing that people did tell me was, was that this, this idea of restoring was, was helpful. So, so you could see it as uh, the gospel getting into our hearts or us kind of resituating ourselves in the gospel story. So we're sinners in need of redemption. Jesus comes to save us. Um, and so uh, the, the worship gathering is not simply about getting information. It's about finding ourselves in a story. Uh, it's about situating ourselves in this this story, this drama that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, one, one quote that I did have from James K.A. Smith, that was the book that I relied um, a lot on, was um, he, he talked about how with with somebody who's writing a novel, they're, they're not just giving information, they're writing a story, but it's through situ- situating yourself in that story that you come to know truth. So, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, The Hobbit, C.S. Lewis's um, uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. We're, we're learning truth, but it's through finding yourself in this story. Mm. And so the service is kind of meant to do that. And one of the main ways that we're, 
we, we at least think that you do that is through uh, what we're calling the liturgy, which just means the, the service order, the order of the worship service. Um, that's kind of the way that the story of Jesus gets into our hearts. Uh, so that's kind of I think it's important too. You you had brought up that um, as we go out into the world mm-hmm. every week, yeah, we're given all these other. Oh, we attach right. ourselves to all these other stories, right? And so part of the corporate gathering and what Paul describes in Colossians three is is that mm-hmm. hey, we're letting the word of Christ dwell richly within us, right? right. And so we're being restored in that larger story. Mm Because a lot of times, man, we get out of the world and there's all these other stories that we um, even subconsciously sort of attach ourselves to or start believing. And so Sunday, the church, we're coming together. Here's the gospel. Um, We're situating ourselves in the the much larger redemptive narrative that God is writing Mm. uh, throughout history. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So how does this liturgy then get the gospel into our hearts? What does that look like here at Northwest? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've kind of been on a journey here the last um, few years. I think there's probably two different ways to think about that. Um, there are active ways that were restored in the gospel. So most every evangelical Christian worship service includes things like songs, um, includes things like prayers, includes things like preaching. And so we kind of recognize these as, oh yeah, that's how I'm letting the gospel um, kind of dwell within me, right? It's it's being told to me, I'm being reminded of it, I'm being refreshed, the lyrics of this song, the prayer that person just prayed, oh, this, this passage that the, the preacher is preaching on. Those are active ways that I'm restored in the gospel. I think the thing that we've been thinking about the last few years as a, as a church at Northwest is just, okay, there's all these passive ways that we're restored in the gospel too. So being intentional enough to think about what, what about the structure of a service, the different movements, transitions, um, as we've described, the, the liturgy, just the, the order of a service. How does that um, restore me um, in the gospel? And, and some of those things are, are caught um, more than they're taught, right? So mm-hmm. you think about an example of just expositional teaching or what we do here a lot, which is teaching through a particular book um, and kind of going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. A lot of people would describe that as expositional teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what that does is, yes, actively, uh, you're being reminded, refreshed, taught the gospel, but the, the preacher is also modeling for you how to walk through the scripture yourself, how to study the scripture, how to see the gospel in the scripture um, and be restored in it. So that's a passive way. Like then you go home and you're able to, okay, this has been modeled for me over the last few Sundays, the last few years. And so um, I'm, and then, I'm and catching you, that. I'm yeah. catching that, right? Yeah. And then you take it home and you read your Bible the same way. Right. right. You're, you're right. going through verse by verse. But he's not going to get up and say, okay, I want everyone to go home and do your uh, devotionals. Right, that you're, right. You're catching that in a passive right. way. And, and, and all, all I'm saying there is like that's what we're intending to do. The same way that we structure or give this kind of gospel shape to our services with liturgy is passively someone coming in, every part of the service, service excuse me, 
is restoring them in the gospel. So we're going to talk about what those specific movements are, Alyssa, but that's kind of the journey that we've been on so far is that the liturgy is supposed to mirror the story of the gospel from the beginning to the end. Now, some people come, depending on what sort of uh, tradition they come out of, um, I think specifically of a Catholic, Lutheran um, tradition that is a little bit more liturgical. The, the objection, at least internally, the objection that, that most people have, most of us have, is, okay, but isn't that, couldn't that get boring? Isn't that kind of ritualistic? Um, couldn't that become old and tired and dusty and rote and stop really meaning what it's supposed to? Or I could lose track of that. Uh, I think I think initially the way we've responded to that objection is it's just like, okay, so does that mean just because we're doing that every week and it could, in theory, become old or tired or rote, should we not sing songs every week? You know, should we not preach the word every week? Obviously not, right? right. Anything can get old, tired, rote. I think that's, uh, you know, that's not a big enough why to not do something. So... So what does it look like for you guys personally? I mean, as our teaching pastor and our worship pastor, you're going through at least two services on a Sunday. And so you're going through all of the elements. Um, what does it look like for you to keep it fresh in your heart, to fight against it being boring um, or being rote? What does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so I'll start and then you can jump in. Okay. Um, I think uh, I don't want that to sound dismissive. Because I think that is a real human tendency mm. um, and something we worry about. I mm. want this to be fresh. I don't want it to become old hat. I've seen enough religion in my day that's become that. And, mm. and so there is that, that fear, okay, this feels a little bit, smells a little bit like um, something that's maybe in a, a past um, context grown old and dusty and tired. I, I think for me, um, I battle that. So... It's not like every week I'm like, yes, I'm just ready to be called into worship. Oh, they're asking me to confess my sin. Let me do that because I'm such a sinner and I know all the ways. And I, you know, I, I'm resistant to that at times. Um, I think it, honestly, Alyssa, it's, I, at sometimes it's a discipline. It's a discipline of telling myself, um, hey, is it a good thing that God calls me? into worship of him. And, um, and so how am I going to respond to that? Like, here I am on a Sunday morning. There have been other stories I've believed throughout the week. Um, there have been other calls that I've responded to. And so, um, man, I'm just going to, man, in my mind, in my heart, with my emotions, I'm going to discipline myself. This is a good thing. It's, it's a good thing to be reminded of my sin. It's God's kindness that leads me to repentance. And so for, for me as an individual, for us corporately to be reminded of that, oh, it's so good to hear the good news again, man. I, I need to receive it again. I need to know that it's enough for me, that Jesus's righteousness is sufficient, um, efficacious for me. So I think in some ways, um, I guess what we're not saying is that this always just comes easy and natural. Um, I think it can you know, and, and, and even for me at times becomes habit. And I, so I want to just say, but there's something really good about um, giving myself to the discipline of restoring myself and the gospel. Mm -hmm. 
Lucas, what about you? Yeah, and I, yeah, I like that idea of discipline. I would also just say it's a it's a transformative discipline, right? So there is no discipline, um, presumably, that is not difficult at first, but that after a while begins to transform you. So if you go on a diet, you're eating your veggies, you're eating your greens, uh, tastes like crud, <laughs> you hate it, um, you want candy instead, right? But after a while, it, it does seem like your taste buds change. Mm. Um, and or, or like you go work out, you're trying to do bench press, you can't even barely put any plates on there. But after a while, you're able to get more and more. It's transformative. It's painful, though, but it's transformative. Mm-hmm. And what, what we're saying is, um, you know, for, for far too long, there's been this, this emphasis in the, um, at least the evangelical church, on extemporaneous worship or worship that is just totally from the heart. Well, there has to be also modeled this idea of, dis, of worship as... Um, like a workout that you give yourself to, even if you don't necessarily want to, that is used by the Holy Spirit to transform you. And so, yeah, okay, I don't want to say this confession, but I know that in the end it's going to lead uh, to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, me rejoicing even more in the good news of the gospel. So I would just say, yeah, it's, it's, it's not necessarily easy, uh, especially you're coming off long a bunch of rehearsals and second services coming up. Okay, yeah, I don't want to confess my sins, but I know that giving myself to this, saying it and meditating on it, and 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 is is transformative. So I think it's just discipline that that transforms us, that God uses to to transform us. Let's turn let's turn that question back on our host, because <laughs> uh, I mean you've served yeah. uh, in various capacities at the church currently as a, a worship leader, singer. Yeah. yeah. So how does it not become rote for you? Yeah, it's a battle. And honestly, you know, at times my confession in that moment is, I'm sorry, I'm not engaged in mm. this. Wow. I'm sorry, God, that I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about other things instead of thinking about the words that I'm saying on the screen. Yeah. Um, and, but I like you're saying, like that discipline, I'm seeing the value in it. I'm seeing the value in that moment of, of being called into this, but then also, uh, you know, uh, on some weeks driving home from church, being able to tell Chris, Hey, you know, during that confession of sin, this is what God brought to me. And this is what I was thinking about. And I can confess that to him and I can, um, you know, our relationship can be encouraged in that moment as well as we, um, get to confess in together. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm seeing that value in it. Um, and in, in choosing to enter into it in, in trying to be disciplined um, and to, to be called into um, all of the different pieces of the service. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're describing, you're catching. Yeah, I, I you do. Know, you are <laughs> catching some good. of the, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that's, no, that is good. That is part of it. And I think, I think like you've mentioned, Lucas, I think some of the transition we've gone through is just like the intentionality of every part of the service? Is it purposeful in restoring us in the gospel? Um, or is it just kind of there, you know? Yeah. Is it is it something that can distract from that? Is it something that's kind of like the gristle on the edge of a stake that you just kind of need to cut off and, you know, get rid of so that you can get to the meat? And um, so this is, yeah, I mean, this is something we're all, I think, learning and growing. and. Yeah. And being shaped by 
So. Yeah, that, that, I do. I do also. You know, that happens to me too on Sundays. But I, I think that is the passive mm-hmm. catching rather than. Oh, wow, my heart is so cold right now. I don't want to confess. Mm. I don't, you know, I don't want to engage you at all right now. I need to focus on changing my capo <laughs> yeah. know, or something yeah. uh, silly like that. And and it's um, yeah, that that's you're catching it. It's it's coming to you. You're passive in that. Uh, mm. So I think it's that's important. Yeah. So as we talk about liturgy and what our service looks like, what are each of those elements? This is the part of the podcast when I <laughs> say, Pastor Lucas, demystify, uh, demystify. liturgy yeah. for us. Um, just, I mean, in, in case people haven't picked up so far, what do we mean, liturgy? Yeah. Um, you uh, have said before at times, that can be a bad word for some people. Mm-hmm. We don't mean it to be a bad word. It's a good word. Um, so outside of uh, hey, just the order of a service, where does that word come from? Yeah. What does it mean? You know, No, that, that's good. I, I do think liturgy, I mean, it, it is kind of one of those words where it's like, man, I got a bad taste in my mouth. I, I, you know, But liturgy just, just means the shape of the service, the order of the service. A liturgist, uh, a contemporary word for that would be worship leader. Mm-hmm. Um, liturgy comes from a, a Greek combination of words which which means the work of the people so if you think of ergos uh, just just means work so when paul talks about the works of the law he uses that word ergos so it just means the work of the people and it was actually a political term um, for a governor or a mayor or somebody leading the people of a city to a brighter and better future when put in a religious context it just means somebody who's leading god's people towards god Mm. Um, and so uh, in the early church, they would have liturgists, people who would lead in the different elements of the service. Now we just call them worship leaders or worship pastors because that makes a lot more sense. Uh, it's not a weird Greek word. Um, <laughs> but but what, what is presumed there, though, is, is, is a, you know, at least with this term liturgist, a worship leader usually, at least in our context, just means somebody leading the songs. Right. And that's just not, that's not how I see it, and that's not how... The church historically has seen it. A liturgist is someone who's leading God's people through the elements of the service to God. Mm. Um, and, uh, and and even in, in Hebrews, I forgot to mention this, Jesus is called our chief liturgist because he leads us to God, right? Mm. It's through Jesus Christ that we get to the Father. So, but what all, that, all of that presumes though is, okay, there, it's not just a music leader. It's not just a, a guy playing guitar. Although for me, that is also the case. But... But it, it's, it's somebody purposefully leading God's people through a worship service to this end, this purposeful end. And what that presumes, at least, is that there is some sort of purposeful order to the worship. Uh, there, there's something that we're doing other than singing a bunch of songs. Right. Um, and, and usually, you know, if you come from an evangelical background, it's, you know, I like to call it band and Bible, right? It's you, you get three songs, you get a sermon. Yeah. If you're lucky, yeah. you get a couple songs afterwards. Uh, it's the song sandwich, song sermon sandwich, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and and then you go home. But but what I what I think is okay. But but what Paul is presuming, and what the early church presumed, was that there was an order, there was a purpose, a shape to it that led God's people through uh, a good the good news of the gospel. I think even in your job description hmm. here at Northwest, yeah, we had kind of 
said something about being the chief theologian um, on a Sunday morning. So I think that does, it's important to talk about that a little bit because before we get to the order, the shape, what are the elements Mm. of that, the way that we think about you as our worship pastor, our chief liturgist, um, Mm. or I guess a liturgist under the the chief liturgist being Jesus Christ, is um, it's not just a Mm. song leader. It's not just a, hey... He hasn't really done enough seminary training, so (laughs) you sing some songs, but don't say a bunch of stuff, right? Like, our intention in hiring you, even, was to be the one who leads us through these elements in a way that, yeah, restories us, as we've been talking about, um, and in a way that's that's intentionally God-centered, gospel-centered. So um, I think that's important for people to know. Hmm. Yeah, no, that that's good. I, I, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, but I, I yeah, so I, I think you know, just thinking of the service and a liturgist as somebody who's purposefully moving through a service, I think um, that that's a good place to start. Um, and I think you know, going back to Colossians three, this is the way in which the good news gets into our hearts. Okay, well, how does how do we how do we order a service in such a way that that happens? Yeah. Right, it's not enough to just sing a Hillsong song. Right, you know, as as good as some some of those songs are, we need to do things that are intentional in getting that good news. And so, what the church historically has done, and especially from the Reformation time onward, is they've ordered their services in such a way that map out the good news. Um, and and one way to look at the liturgy, the order of the service, is to think of the macro story of the Bible. Mm. Um, from creation, you know, God created mankind to glorify him. Mankind fell into sin, mm-hmm. shame, nakedness. You know, he sent, God sent his son into the world to save, not to condemn it, but to save the world. And then leading to a new creation. Um, I think that that's, that's a good way of seeing it. Um, so, so, for instance, with the call to worship. What, what is the point of the call to worship? Well, the point of the call to worship is that God just like he spoke Adam, uh, the, the world rather, into being, he, he crafted Adam, but just as he created the world and he made mankind to be in his presence, to worship, to glorify him, to exalt in him, so now God is calling us each Sunday to be in his presence, to magnify mm-hmm. him, to worship him uh, for how worthy he is. Uh, and so we're, we're choosing psalms that highlight that reality, right? Yeah. Psalm 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a God above all gods, right? Psalm 96 mm-hmm. talks about how the other gods are worthless idols. Right. right. Um, God is worthy of worship. And then we followed up with songs that highlight that reality. Right. Um, that, that God is, uh, is, is this huge, big triune God who in and of himself is worthy of, of worship. And so it mimics the creation narrative. Um, we're, we're kind of almost being recreated and resituated in, into the, in the Garden of Eden with, with God. Hmm. Um, anything you got there? That's great. I, I think just just that idea that that's mimicking that reality, you know. So we're talking about, yeah, a redemptive or gospel shape. It starts um, being created and being called in that um, reality, being called hmm. into God's presence, into enjoyment of him, relationship with him, 
that we would ultimately reflect and and bear his image. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And so I just, yeah, that's one of the, that's the big movement in in the worship service. And those songs should reflect that movement that that we sing. Uh, the next part after the call, call to worship is confession of sin. And I know uh, that I've heard from several of you that it's kind of a jolting part of the service mm-hmm. because you're kind of exalting in God. God is big. He's amazing. And then we, we say these, some of these confessions are like Calvin. Uh, he <laughs> Really bad day. Really Calvin. bad day for Calvin. Yeah. He did. He made his wife mad. He's in the doghouse. And so he's just writing, you know, well, he, he's talking about being born into sin. Uh, be, nothing in me is good, right? And we're saying these things. Why Why is there such this jolting move? Well, um, it's because the next part of the story of redemption is the fall. The fall, yeah. And what happens? Well, Adam and Eve are in God's presence, and yet they choose something lesser. They, they, they choose to worship themselves. They choose to worship uh, the beasts of the field instead of the creator of all. Uh, they transgress the command. Mm-hmm. And that immediately jolts them awake to their shame, to their nakedness, to their their worthiness of, of condemnation. Mm-hmm. And that's meant to, to, to highlight that reality. Um, and, and you say, well, it's, it's just a, a depressing. Yes, exactly. Right? <laughs> Sin is depressing. <laughs> Sin is depressing, right? So, so um, this is an important part in, 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 the, in not simply in the, in the story of redemption, but in the liturgy because it highlights that reality. Right, um, right. Right. So, yeah, anything you got? I think, well, I was thinking, we, we met with my uncle's um, a few weeks ago, <laughs> who's been a pastor in Mesa for a number of years. Um, and he was just saying, like, I don't know that anybody gets to the end of a week and says, you know what? I did too much of this week. I repented too much. <laughs> I confessed too much. I, I think it's supposed to be jolting. Because the Bible says some very jolting things, reminds us very frequently of who we are apart from Christ. Mm. We are sinners. We are depraved. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And so, you know, I I get it. Sometimes it's depressing. Sometimes it feels like, man, we just like all of a sudden just kind of got somber in here. Um, But sometimes that is needed just to to remind us, oh, yeah, like, man, apart from Christ, um, I, I am a sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm depraved. I still have these tendencies to choose all of these other things, to prefer all of these other gods to the one true God. And so, um, yeah, I don't know that it, it shouldn't be jolting. You know, I think sometimes yeah. um, the way that scripture, the way that God himself describes sin is jolting. It is depressing. It is um, almost like smelling salts, you know, where you're like, whoa, oh, yeah. Um, I have this problem. The world has this problem. And uh, we need to reckon with that. Also, I think what you said about just being called into the worship of the triune God, I mean, the, the, the more we're drawn into his presence, the more aware we become of our own sin. You know, you think of Isaiah 6, which is a passage we've talked about a lot, but Isaiah, all of a sudden, it's like God shows up. Um, Tim Keller talks about how God, that, that was the last thing it's he expected, God, right? Right. Well, like, he talks about a God quake. Right, right. right. Um, yeah, and I th- exactly. When you come into the presence of a holy God, how can you not 
also then look at yourself yeah. and say, wow, woe is me. Right. Um, I and, just, and, and one other thing I would say on that is just um, that that is, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's a, a good thing that God would, you know, by his kindness, Paul says, through his kindness, you know, bring us to repentance. Um, it's a good thing for us to be reminded through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the, um, yeah, through being in God's presence to, to see, oh, yeah, I'm not holy. Oh, yeah, I'm not worthy. I'm not um, choosing to delight in the most delightful thing there is. Mm-hmm. And I need to reckon with that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So then the next element is the assurance of pardon, which um, I, I know also for, for a lot of people, um, it might be strange and, and it might sound a little bit Catholic, but, but here, here's just the first thing I want to say out the, out, the, out the gate there is that it's called the assurance of pardon. It's not called the absolution. Mm. It's not called um, the, the pardoning. Uh, it's called the assurance of the fact that you are pardoned. Good, good distinction. Um, and that, that, that was, this was a phrase that came, came to be, uh, during the time of the reformation because they, they realized, listen, we, we need to model the gospel, but we're not handing out Jesus's forgiveness. Right. Uh, no, that's, that's God's job. What we're doing it with this is we are pronouncing the good news yeah. over you so that you can believe it. You know, one of the things that I love about the book of common prayer, Thomas Cranmer was another reformer in, in England. And, and he called this part of the service, he called it the comfortable words. Mm-hmm. And not, not like you're lounging on a chair and you're comfortable, <laughs> but, but the comforting words, the words of comfort that, hey, it, it, you've probably experienced this before too, if you confess your sins to a friend. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you. No, right. They're going to say, man, yes, you screwed up, but relax. You know, Jesus died for you. You're forgiven. Don't worry. You know. You're not going to go to hell over this. You, you're, you have God's forgiveness. And that's, that's what we're doing in this service. And I think that this is, this is the key point in the service where we're, we're hearing the good news that we forget all throughout the week. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That, yes, we're sinners. We're more sinful than we ever would have you know, thought, as Keller says, but we're more loved and forgiven. And God uh, counts us as righteous for the sake of Christ. I mean, it's so important. Um, we, we can't hear that enough. Um, and so it's such, such an important part of the, of the service. Yeah, I've often, I mean, I love this part of the service. Mm-hmm. Um, why do I love it? Sometimes it needs to be cast against that bleak, dead, black backdrop mm-hmm. of my sin and the world's sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes, when those words of comfort, those comforting words come. Um, I think the the church collectively says, oh, yes, this is good, you know, or at least that's what we're that's hoping what, that's happens. What we we should be feeling, yeah, yeah right, yeah, totally. Right. I think another beautiful part about this part of the service is just what it teaches you and what it allows you to take through the week um, mm. because God can recall those words back to you when you're feeling yeah. guilt and shame when you're feeling broken over your sin, he, he can re, he can reassure you with the words that we heard on Sunday of, you know, first John one nine, um, he is faithful to forgive yeah, you. Um, and, 
And at the same time, that confession of sin does the same thing. It gives us the words to confess our sin throughout the week. It gives us um, that reminder of, of our of our status before God. So both both of those parts have such carry through through the week. That's certainly, I mean, the one I was thinking of as you were saying that, that Lucas, you've used a couple of times is, you know, First John 2, you know, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, yeah. Jesus Christ, the righteous. That like recalling that through the week yeah. or the Holy Spirit reminding me of that through the week. Um, you're right, man. What a, what a comfort yeah. um, to let the good news not just hit me on Sunday morning, but through my week mm-hmm. to assure me that Christ is sufficient. Yeah, and I think you talk about caught versus taught. Ho- hopefully, if, if I can uh, um, swoon over Thomas Cramner a little bit more, my, my <laughs> bro crush. But this was his, and, and Calvin did the same exact thing. They had this vision of corporate worship bleeding out into the day-to-day. So, so what, but what Cramner did was he had a book of common worship, or book of common prayer, rather. And by that, he meant a book of prayer for everybody. Right. Right, not just the priest, right? Who's who? Who has all the time in the world to to uh, memorize the psalms and do the rosary and all that stuff? No, this is this is a this is an order of service that every single common Christian right. has a right to. Right, and therefore here's this book for you, hmm. and you pray this throughout the week. I, I just think that's so beautiful. Now I know that um, you know no, uh, <laughs> maybe I'm the only one that has a book of common prayer and. But what I'm I'm just saying though is what he thought was listen the liturgy then bleeds out into the rest of the week and it gives us words to pray to God. Well, I think it, even if not everyone has the same crush that you have, Thomas Crown. <laughs> I, I think other people, you know, whether it's my utmost for his highest or the val, you know, valley of valley vision, vision or, yeah, that's right, or even the, like a contemporary one that I think of is just Paul David Tripps, you know, yeah, that's um, right, like his. His devotional right now is just so, uh, for some people, man, it's like, okay, these newfound morning mercies that I get to every every morning be yeah. reminded of, you know? So, um, and, I and, think, I, I, and it is for the common man, yes. you know? He, here's throughout your week. Um, and, and I think it's important, what is Paul Tripp, who, who it is he there? He, he's a liturgist, right? Yeah, yeah. He is your liturgist and he's leading you to God. And so I think, um, but hey, we can rephrase it and say he's, he's your worship leader. He's your prayer mentor. You know, um, we can put different words on it, but it's all basically the same thing. No, that's not. Because liturgist <laughs> is a good thing. It's a good, it's a good uh, word. Yeah. Okay. On Sunday, I'm going to say welcome to, uh, welcome to the liturgy. Yeah. Your yeah. liturgist is going to uh, lead you in. No, I'm not going to say that. No, don't right. say that. Don't I won't. say that. Somebody's going to walk out if I do that. All right. So next part of the service is what I, well, it's, it's what I like to think of as you're being nourished now. So very active at the beginning. Now you're very passive and you're receiving spiritual nourishment mm. through what is commonly called word and sacrament. And so the word is the preach word. Uh, now that you've been assured you're forgiven, you sit. Um, you sit at Christ's feet through his human representative, right? His fallen human <laughs> representative, but hopefully they're, they're being faithful to the word of God and they're giving to you now an exposition of Christ, God's own words. Um, and they're hopefully they're being faithful to exposit it. Um, and you're being nourished. You're being fed. 
that this is this is food for your soul. Um, anything you got there? No, I think I mean that's um, it's a high calling, high stewardship. But I think you're right. You're representing the pastor, the preaching pastor, the one giving the sermon is simply representing Christ as he feeds mm. his his flock, right? And provides nourishment and provides um, comfort and encouragement and conviction. And so he's just he's just being a common, ordinary means yeah. by which Christ um, Christ does that for his church. Yeah, and that's and that's that's your task, that's your calling, that's your mantle um, that to, to represent Jesus. Um, and, and then we have, so we have word and then we have sacrament. Now, um, again, historically, those, those have always been placed together because, um, you know, we, we don't, sacrament again is a bad word too. It's, it's a, it's, it's kind of a boogeyman word. Um, most people, <laughs> uh, we, what's the um, ordinance? We like the word yeah, ordinance, ordinance, right? Yeah. It's yeah. ordained by Jesus for yeah. as a practice. But sacrament just means a holy thing. And, and, and the idea is that through something tangible, you are able to um, in some way experience God. Mm-hmm. And um, one, one way I like to think of this is every, everything can be in, in that sense sacramental. Right? Right. So you were talking about how you went to the Grand Canyon and you mm-hmm. saw the grandeur of the Grand Canyon and you said God is amazing. Right, right. Um, it's, it, it's not, there's nothing magical there other than that you are experiencing God through those, um, multi sight, smell, sound, sure. the wind, the, you know, all of this stuff, you're experiencing God through that. Well, that's sacramental. Um, and what we're saying is what Jesus has ordained is that through the means of bread and eating that bread and wine or grape juice and drinking that you are experiencing him and his grace. Um, and so at, in the act of, of partaking, it's not that the bread transforms into something else, but it's that you have an experience of God through it. So that's, that's what a sacrament is. Another way of looking at it, though, would be to think of a sacrament as, as a visible word. So Martin Luther calls it that. Or you could call it a visible sermon, even. It's, it's, sure. a, it's a sermon that puts on display the good news of Jesus Christ. And so... Think about John 6, where Jesus tells his followers, eat my flesh, drink my blood. If you don't do that, uh, you have no life. Mm. Well, he's not literally commanding them to do that. What he's saying is, I am like the bread, the manna that was fed to the Jewish people. I am like just bread that if you eat it, you get life. You, yeah. get, you, you get energy, you get life. You, can, you, don't, you don't starve to death. If you partake of me, I can give you life. Right. And so every single Sunday, when, when, when you're taking that bread and you eat it, what you're preaching to yourself is that sermon that Jesus is bread to my weary soul. Right, right. Uh, Jesus is, is, you know, drink to my thirsty, parched soul, and I, and I need that. Um, and so, you know, it's through the act of partaking that you, by faith, then grab hold of Jesus and everything that he promises to I think I mean I think that's I like the visible sermon a lot of times we make that connection in baptism a yeah, lot that's easier right. you know yes. it's kind of like hey this is a picture of the gospel um you've been joined to Christ mm. you have died okay you're going under the water you've died to your old life of sin and self 
You've been raised to new life in him. As I see that, I'm supposed to be thinking, oh yes, that's happened for that person. That spiritual reality has happened for that person. It's also happened for me. Let's celebrate that. I'm being nourished through that, right? Yes, yeah. Similar way, um, the, the sacrament, the, the Lord's Supper is supposed to do that. I think of uh, in Colossians 1 for, you know, where, where it talks about Christ, you know, for by him and through him and for him, all things were created, you know. Um, for Jesus, God created bread for Jesus to, when Jesus came into the world and started talking about himself being the bread that came down out of heaven. It's like, mm. oh, I, okay, I get it. As I eat this bread and I'm nourished by it and bread gives me sustenance and, and allows my, you know, allows my body to work and gives me life. Like you said, that's, it's for Jesus to take and to use and in, to institute and to give us, um, to lead us to a good thing. Hey, this is, the, I'm the bread of life, right? So I think that the visible sermon, that's a really good way of thinking about the sacraments. Jeff, you've talked a couple times about, you know, just why we, as, as part of the way that at this church we take the sacraments, we walk forward to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and some churches do it differently. Some pass the plate. Some, you know, there's other ways to do it. But um, why do you see us doing that here at Northwest? Yeah, I think Lucas kind of described it. But just the idea of, um, okay, I'm here. I'm, I'm being restoried in the gospel I'm realizing that, that part of that is, um, man, God's uh, prepared a table for me to, to feast with him. That's through um, the, the, you know, the, the sinless life, substitutionary death, and mm. resurrection of Christ. So do I believe that? Um, do I receive that? Can I receive it again this morning? Um, part of the way we do communion here the way that we practice it is we have people get up out of their seats and come forward to the tables as a way, as, as an individual Christian and, and as corporately as the church of just saying, yes, I believe that. I, I need that. I need Christ to be my bread, to be my living water. I need the gospel today just as much as I needed it 10 years ago. And so it, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an intentional physical act of getting up and walking, seeing my brothers and sisters walk forward to the table um, to just declare that, to declare, okay, God has provided for me in Christ and it's through Christ that I'm able to come and, and uh, sup with, with God himself. So um, that's the way, the reason we do it the way we do. I think there's just, like you're talking about, Lucas, there's, there's an intentionality there's a reason why these these visible pictures, if you will, um, they do um, restore us. They, uh, they they make the gospel at home in our hearts again each week as we as we participate in them. You know that just made me. I don't want to get off too much on it because we're, anyways. I, I I think also one one thing that we can't ever. Um, miss here is the importance of the physicality of worship. Mm -hmm. um, getting up, walking to receive this gift from Jesus. Um, you know, raising our arms, uh, kneeling, uh, bowing our heads. All of these things are meaningful. Right. And they're ways through which 
and you know, we're not just disembodied souls. We're, we're physical beings and the things that the movements and the different, you know, all these things are meaningful. Um, so anyways, that was just came to side note. <laughs> but after the sermon, what do we do? Okay, good. After the sermon, there's the benediction. And bene, bene good, means bene is, uh, means good, diction, uh, word. So uh, you, what you receive at the end of the service is a good word, and you're sent off with that good word. So the idea here is you've received, you've, you've, uh, you've confessed, you've received, you're nourished, you're filled up with Jesus, and now you're sent out with a good word. Peace, my peace I give to you, Jesus says to his disciples. Now go and make disciples of all nations, mm-hmm. baptizing them and teaching um, to obey all that I've, I've taught you. So it's this idea now that now that we're filled up with Christ, with the light of Christ, now we become, like you said in your sermon, little lights of Christ to a dark world. And so we're sent out with a good word to be Christ to the world. Um, so that, that last part of the uh, service really is is uh, very important. I, at least at least to me, you know, um, from a couple of churches that I've been to, you know, some people have, have even opened their their hands in, in, as in a gesture, like I'm receiving this this word as I go. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I think I remember the churches I grew up in. Like I, this is one area where I'm like, yeah, we got to do better at the benediction, you know, because <laughs> um, I I remember being sent out, you know. And, and at times, that's what Paul does at the end of his letters. Yeah, you know, right. he, hey, I'm giving you this good word. You know, I'm sending you out. I'm, I'm you know, in, in whatever in, in redemptive language, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out on mission um, uh, to join with God, to partner with God, and um, and yeah, and in proclaiming the gospel and and um, drawing more disciples in into into Him. So. Yeah. And sometimes it's announcements, but it's more than announcements. <laughs> it should be. It should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah th- there is such importance and value in those words. Mm. Um, I took a little bit of heat at a women's Bible study earlier this year because I confessed that sometimes I read a, you know one of Paul's letters and I kind of skip the end because mm. sometimes it's the same sort of words or it, you know, it doesn't feel new. Um, but we were studying the book of Jude, which mm. I happen to like a lot. I named my son Jude. Mm. Um, and the, the doxology there, the benediction there is so mm. full and rich and beautiful. Mm. And yeah, I don't want to just fly by those words. I don't want to just, um, you know, I don't want to let them get lost in the noise. Like they're, they're valuable words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. And now and forever. Amen. Those are big words. Those are, they do not mean the same thing. So mm-hmm. thinking about them, taking them apart and, and looking at them, um, the, the end of, of letters in the Bible, the end of our service can be just as valuable. I just like, as you read that, I just want to hear a pipe organ right after you (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, that is historically at least one of the benedictions. I mean, uh, not to him who is is able to, uh, man, Sandra McCracken wrote a song. Uh, Anyways. This is a great segue (laughs) into our next episode. Our next episode, yes. Uh, So, uh, uh, actually, I'm not the host. Why am I talking? I don't know, but we're going to... Listen yes. up, Gabriel. Send us out now. 
In the Narthex is a podcast of Northwest Bible Church in Tucson, Arizona. The goal of this podcast is to spiritually form our own church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you're listening in from somewhere else, we hope that it serves the same purpose for you. And if you have any questions, comments, or future podcast ideas, please email them to us at podcast at northwestbible.com.